Uh, it's important to keep some perspective on your life, to know your place in the big scheme of things. It's important to understand how you fit in. Uh, I remember a short video from my science teaching days called Powers of Ten. Uh, you can still watch it on YouTube if you, if you look for it. Uh, it was designed to give students a perspective on their place in the universe, on how small they were compared to how big the universe was. Uh, it began with an overhead shot of a man. He was lying on a picnic rug. Uh, the camera was one metre above him. And there's a little number at the bottom of the screen to tell you. And then it zooms out to 10 metres. And we get a bit more perspective. Uh, and we see that the man's actually enjoying a picnic with his girlfriend. They're in a park. They're sitting on lovely grass. It's a beautiful sunny day. The camera zooms out to 100 metres and we get some more perspective. This particular park is in the middle of Chicago. It's next to a marina. And beyond the grass is the hustle and bustle of the working city. The camera zooms out again. We're now one kilometre, a thousand metres above the park. And we see the grid-like pattern of the city, the lake that spreads out on one side of it, and beyond the skyscrapers, the residential suburbs. The camera zooms out further, ten kilometres, and then a hundred, and then a thousand the city itself becomes a dot, millions of people. Then 10,000 kilometres, 100,000 kilometres, until the whole planet fits into the frame. But the video hasn't stopped yet. Uh, it keeps zooming out, the Earth disappears, and we zoom past the outer planets and the huge sun. In fact, the whole solar system gets smaller and smaller. Uh, the galaxy we're part of, the Milky Way, millions of stars now fits into the TV, into the frame. But before long, uh, that too, as we keep zooming out, becomes just one of even hundreds and thousands of other galaxies. Uh, the video ends 100 million light years away. Perhaps if it was a Christian video, it, it would have zoomed out until the whole universe was visible and shown us the way God sees things. But even as it was, the kids were always struck by how small they were and how big the universe was. Uh, the universe doesn't revolve around you, was the lesson. Uh, it's that sort of perspective that Paul is bringing, us, uh, bringing to the Corinthians here at the start uh, uh, in, uh, in chapter 16. Uh, that sort of perspective is also how he started the letter. Right back in chapter 1 verse 2 he began this way, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord, their Lord and ours. So Paul begins his letter by saying, you guys think you're pretty important, you think you're, you're, well, you're gifted and you're special, but you're just one small part of a much bigger picture. And even though he has spent most of his letter trying to fix up their multitude of problems, in this last chapter he gets back to this idea about how the Corinthians are part of a bigger picture and he talks about some of the other issues that are happening around the known world. Uh, how giving faithfully to brothers and sisters in need can help to share the load. Uh, he shows them what uh, his own ministry is like uh, to churches beyond Corinth uh, and as he does he also describes some faithful co-workers of his and finally, when he's done that, at the end of the chapter, he encourages them to live in the light of that new perspective of seeing how they fit in. He exhorts them to faithful living. 
So if you like, we could call this last chapter of Paul uh, his yours faithfully chapter, as he talks about faithful giving and faithful ministry and faithful living. So firstly, let's think about uh, faithful giving. Verse 1, he begins, now about the collection for God's people. Romans 15 tells us he was collecting for the Christians who were in Jerusalem. Acts 11 tells us there was a famine in uh, Jerusalem at the time. Uh, So what we've got is some Christians who are starving and others who are doing okay. And so Paul organises a collection wherever he goes with Gentile Christians helping out the Jewish Christians. And the big point is that the world is bigger than just you, just your church. The world is bigger. How broad is your vision? How wide are you seeing? What's your perspective like? We said farewell to Kipper Maddie Turner last week. They're moving to another church. That's sad for us. But the, the true perspective is to, is to say that our loss is another church's gain. Uh, we miss out, but another church is going to benefit from their input. What's most important is that God's kingdom grows. It doesn't matter if our kingdom is not growing. We can share people resources. We can share material resources. As a church, we support missionaries. Many of you support missionaries uh, individually out of your own funds. There's Diego and Richard and Lisa in Thailand and Mike and Katie and Dave and Liz. As a church, we're pretty comfortable. We're going to finish the year on the, on the right side of the, of the ledger in the black. We're not super wealthy. Uh, But you can be sure that we are far more wealthy than 90% of our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. We are exceedingly wealthy when you consider uh, the world. Many of us support Compassion and uh, sponsor kids uh, who are in great need. Compassion works with local churches, with our brothers and sisters uh, in the two-thirds world to look after kids and to tell them about Jesus. That's sharing the load. Do you remember back in chapter 12, Paul said that when one part of the body suffers, every part of the body suffers. Uh, And so brothers and sisters in Christ, even on the other side of the world, should be sharing the load. Uh, And that's what Paul's expecting Corinthians to do. Is that something you're part of? Is your perspective showing that uh, you recognise you're sharing the load? Paul goes on to show what that sort of sharing should look like. uh, And the first... Uh, point he makes is that uh, giving should be regular. There in verse 2. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So the the schedule is uh, an amount every week. Then it won't break the bank when he arrives and expects it all in one hit. Uh, On the first day of the week, verse 2 probably means it was collected during the Sunday meeting, during church, and then uh, it would be kept uh, together until Paul arrived. Paul's advice is to set it aside regularly. Uh, And if you want to be able to do it regularly, you need to do it as a priority. Uh, Giving needs to be a priority. And and it may be that Paul's hinting at that when he talks about the first day of the week. Uh, He's thinking do it at the beginning rather than at the end of your week. Do it when your, wallet's empty, uh, when your wallet's full, not empty. If you only wait till the end of the week and give whatever's left in your wallet uh, as their last priority, uh, you'll never be able to give regularly, either in time or in amount. Uh, 
I know that many of you make your giving a specific budget item and you give the same each week, whatever other bills come along. And that's great. That's the sort of thing Paul's talking about here. Uh, something Paul didn't have that uh, we've got that's an advantage, I guess, is uh, electronic giving, that you can set up a, an automatic payment so you don't have to think about it and you won't forget about it. And the bulletin gives you details about how you're able to do that. Well, give regularly. Paul's second principle is to give according to your means. Did you see that there? He says, in keeping with his income. Uh, which means, uh, if you earn a lot, you should give a lot. If you earn a little, you can give a little. Paul doesn't say how much. Uh, but if you earn a lot and give a lot, if you give according to your means, that's going to mean two things. It means if your income's low, you shouldn't feel guilty about how little you give. Uh, it also should mean if you're uh, earning a lot, you shouldn't feel proud compared to others if you give more than they do. You should. You should be giving more. What sort of figure do you use to work out what you'll give? Do you start with your total income? Uh, do you include that extra rental income perhaps you get, or your share dividends, or your tax refund, or your Christmas bonus? What about family payments? Do you include those, or is that sort of free money? Uh, and, and do you look at the number before or after you take your tax out? Uh, I, I suggest probably most of us look at the after-tax bit. What priority is God's work for you? In the Old Testament, it was pretty easy. You got told how much to give and that's what you gave. The rule was 10%. It was called tithing. Uh, in the New Testament, we're not told how much we have to give, but we are commanded to be generous because God has been very generous to us. So maybe 10% is just the beginning. Well, Paul's third principle is that faithful giving means being able to give confidently because there are good guidelines in place. And you can see the sort of thing uh, he's talking about in verse 3. When I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. So he wants the Corinthians to choose trustworthy, responsible men to look after the money. Uh, and not just one man. There should be more than one and, and Paul's going to give them a reference to say that he's got, uh, they've got his authority as well. And all of those are ways to make sure uh, that, who, that the money is held in a way that's beyond reproach. Uh, firstly, so that outsiders, non-Christians, will have no excuse to accuse the church of uh, being dishonest about money. Uh, secondly, so that those in charge of the money aren't given any opportunity uh, to misuse it. It reduces temptation if you've got no opportunity, if there's always someone there uh, with you. Uh, a third reason these uh, principles are good is that uh, it means the givers can have confidence. If they're giving because they want their money to end up uh, with people who are suffering famine, they can be confident knowing that there's guidelines in place to make sure it ends up there. Billy Graham, for example, made it a rule never to handle money to do with his evangelistic crusades. And as a result, he had a, a good name in the world. Uh, there's lots of other reasons as well, but uh, to do with money was a good one. Uh, we've got similar procedures in our church. A number of people here are, are on the roster to, to count the collection at the end of the night. And did you notice how many people count the collection? Did anyone notice? 
It's always two. That's right. There's always two that count it. And uh, two people sign that they've counted the money and mostly they get the count right. Occasionally get a call from the bank to say you miscounted, but that's all right. At least two people have agreed. <laughs> um, and uh, all cheques are double signed and all payments are approved by our committee of management. Uh, our books are audited every year and then the whole congregation approves the, the accounts for the year as well. So basically all of those uh, are ways that you can be confident that when you give your money for God's work, it'll end up doing what we say it's going to do. Well, that's faithful giving. Paul moves next onto his own faithful ministry, verses 5 to 9. And once again, it's helping to broaden the Corinthians' perspective, their view of how big the world is. Uh, he talks about some of his plans for the future. Uh, yes, he wants to get back to Corinth, but he's going to go there via Macedonia because there's a church there too. And at the moment, he's in Ephesus with another church and he'll probably be there for a while yet. Corinth is just one piece of a bigger puzzle for Paul. Think about the travel he had to, to go on. It wasn't easy. Trips would take weeks, uh, even months, uh, rather than hours. You know, we talk about it 24 hours on, on a plane. Boy, that's so long. But Paul's talking months. He, he ends up talking seasons. He says he's going to stay for winter in a certain place. It took a faithful servant of Jesus to be crisscrossing the known world. To, uh, to encourage all of those churches. And, and the Corinthians were just one small part of that. I wonder how much you go out of your way uh, for the sake of the gospel and the name of Jesus. Uh, as you know, a number of our folk are heading up to Beach Mission in a few weeks. It's a long drive and it's a long couple of weeks and it's hot and it's hard work. But they're giving up their holidays for it, for the sake of Jesus. Uh, what are you giving up for the sake of Jesus? It wasn't just travelling that marked Paul out as a faithful minister. Did you notice verse 8? Have a look at it, or verse 9. I'll stay at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. That's interesting, isn't it? My guess is if we were asked, uh, is this ministry an open door? Is, is God guiding you to keep working on that ministry? We'd we'd be thinking, well, there's lots of conversions and it's pretty easy. Um, and, and we'd think, well, if things are tough and, and people are giving us a hard time, well, that's probably God's guidance that it's a closed door. But Paul doesn't see it like that. He, he sees he's got a, a great opportunity to tell people, even though there are lots of people who oppose him. So he's going to stay in Ephesus because heaps of people are getting to hear about Jesus, even though he's being persecuted. Faithful ministry means sticking it out despite uh, things being hard because that's where God puts you and he hasn't told you anything different. Uh, tough times aren't going to make you pack up shop and move somewhere else. There's a great door for effective work and there are many who oppose me, he says. So whether Paul's travelling around or, or whether he's staying in one place for a season, Paul's an example of faithful ministry. Uh, which leads Paul on to his next point from verses 10 to 12. He, he describes his faithful co-workers. Uh, Paul was strong and confident and successful, but he wasn't a, a one-man band. He, he needed co-workers. Uh, for example, he mentions Timothy. Tim and Tim. 
Uh, he was shy, he was young. Paul values his ministry. Uh, Timothy's so shy, Paul gives the Corinthians a warning there in verse 10. Don't scare him off. Make sure you behave when he comes and visits you. Give him the respect he deserves. So that's Timothy. At the other end of the scale is Apollos. He's sharp, he's smart, he's a persuasive speaker. Uh, it's no wonder the Corinthians were pretty impressed with him on, uh, on his last visit. Uh, so much so that they start putting Paul down by comparison. Uh, they think he's not so uh, polished a speaker. And now they want Apollos to come back. Uh, verse 12, Paul says, Now about our brother Apollos, I did strongly urge him to go to you with the brothers, but he was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. It's interesting, isn't it? Even though Apollos makes Paul look impressive, there's no ego about Paul. He's not worried about looking second best. He's keen for Apollos to go back because Apollos is building God's kingdom. It's not about Paul's kingdom. Way back in chapter 3, he had this to say about Apollos' ministry and his ministry. Chapter 3, verse 5, he says, What after all is Apollos and what's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. I wonder whether you've got that attitude. Uh, when you see someone who's working alongside you, when you see them do a great job, do you rejoice that God's using that person? Or is there this little bit of jealousy there, uh, wishing that you could do as good a job, or, or maybe wishing that they weren't quite so good or so successful? so that you'd feel a little better about yourself. That's not Paul's attitude, is it? For Paul, everyone's valuable, no one's more important. We're all just workers in God's field. Uh, have a look at how he responds also to the visit from Stephanus and his friends. That's there in verse 15. Uh, we're told they were the first converts in Corinth. So they're the start of, of the Corinthian church. Uh, they're Paul's children in the Lord. Uh, Paul led them to faith and he's overjoyed to see how well they're, uh, they're doing. And these children of his are a real encouragement to Paul. See that in, there in verse 17? I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they've supplied what was lacking from you. They refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. It's great, isn't it? Uh, I don't know whether this has ever happened to you. Sometimes you go somewhere and, and you assume it's your job to do the encouraging, to make someone build them up and teach them, maybe because you're older or a more mature Christian. Uh, but it's often happened to me that I, I come away from a meeting or a visit with someone and, and I'm sure I've received more encouragement than I've actually given. Cindy was just telling me today, she told me about two women that uh, she's been able to help and yet she says they've encouraged her so much. Uh, she's learned so much from them. What is it about Paul's attitude that means he can be encouraged by people who are uh, more junior or, or, or not as far along in the faith as him? Well, I think it's, there's a humility, isn't it? Uh, it's about really listening to people, uh, not just nodding your head as they talk while you think about the next encouraging thing you can say back to them. 
Listen to them. Uh, You might be surprised at the blessing that all sorts of people can give you and the encouragement. Be gracious to accept God's God's encouragement from even unlikely sources, like Paul does here. So there's some of Paul's attitudes to some of the people he ministers with. We've seen his advice on faithful giving. Uh, We've seen some of his... uh, the description of his own faithful ministry and some faithful co-workers. And Paul moves on in verses 13 to 18 with a final series of commands, short, sharp commands, how to live in light of this bigger perspective that they're just one small part of God's world. So look at verse 13. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love pretty short in English but it's even shorter in Greek it's only 10 words in Greek and yet it covers the full range of relationships Uh, living in the gospel living in the world living in the church so firstly living faithful living in the gospel he says be on your guard stand firm in the faith Uh, he's thinking of of holding on to the baton holding on to the message that they've received Uh, The teaching about Jesus, chapter 15, verse 2, we saw that. Uh, Hold fast to it. Don't let go. Don't get off track. Don't be persuaded by false teachers. Stick to what's important. Don't get distracted by peripheral issues. Second, he talks about faithful living in the world. Be men of courage. Be strong. When people make fun of you, when people persecute you, resist. Uh, Don't give up hope. Don't give in to hate. Don't give the way uh, you've been hurt. Be courageous, he says. And interestingly, we do that by holding on to the gospel. We keep that as the most important thing, by being firm in our faith. It's when we're strong on the inside that we can be strong on the outside. Thirdly, he describes faithful living in the church. Do everything in love been a consistent theme not just in chapter 13 uh, that chapter about love it's been all the way through the book love each other use your gifts in love be considerate in love encourage each other in love do everything in love in fact when you're loving your brothers you will be helping them to be strong in the world Uh, sunday is if you like it's like a, a loving bodybuilding session so that when we go out into the world, uh, we can be courageous and we can hold on to the gospel during the week. I wonder if that's how you feel about church. Uh, Do you go away feeling pumped, strengthened, uh, ready to deal with the world? I hope so. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Well, he gives a few final remarks, but then he practices what he preaches despite all these tough words to them over the last 16 chapters, despite all that they're doing wrong, their selfishness, their pride, uh, look at how he finishes the letter. It's a fitting finish considering his command to love. There in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Verse 24. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen. Is that you? Do you love those around you here at church? Despite their shortcomings and failings, uh, we need to learn from Paul. We need to get the sort of perspective that he's given us here about our place in God's world. My love to all of you in Christ Jesus. Amen.
Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us to see how we fit into your plans. Uh, We thank you that we are just one small part. Uh, Sometimes uh, we think we are bigger and more important than we really are. Uh, Give us the humility to recognise how you are at work in those around us. Uh, Give us the ability to see the needs uh, in our church and our needs, uh, the, the needs of our brothers and sisters beyond Australia, uh, that we might share the load. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would be at work uh, among us in our church, uh, that we really would build each other up in love uh, so that we go out into the week ready and strong and willing to hold on to the things that we believe. And we pray all these things so that Jesus might be honoured. Amen.